Hello and welcome to Health Tech on the Horizon, where we talk with medical innovators, doctors, and deep thinkers about the future of humanity, human health, the human body, and associated technologies. I'm your host, Mike Rignetta, and today we'll be talking about the current and future state of diabetes and continuous glucose monitoring. Between 1980 and 2014, the number of people with diabetes rose from 108 million to 422 million. As chronic disease continues to rise around the world, it's imperative for us to understand the innovations that will help with the prevention and control of diabetes and its complications. We're also going to talk about what it's like to monitor and treat diabetes during a global pandemic, one in which, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, has caused over 50% of people who have been diagnosed with both diabetes and COVID-19 to be hospitalized. Joining me are John Nasta, beamed in from Pennsylvania. John is a technology theorist and the founder of Nasta Lab, a digital health think tank. He serves on the Google Health Board and is a digital health expert for the World Health Organization. Thanks for joining us, John. My pleasure, Mike. And Laura Brandner, live from Oakland, California. Laura is a seasoned digital platform product manager who is currently the director of real-world evidence programs from Abbott's Diabetes Care Business. Thanks for joining us, Laura. Thanks for having me. So the first thing I want to do is just acknowledge that we are recording this in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, we are all in our various homes recording remotely. We were originally uh, scheduled to do this in March, but... You know, it became clear that maybe sitting in a very tiny room altogether wasn't the best idea. So here we are uh, a few months later. So Laura, I wonder if you could just give us a quick rundown of what generally diabetes is and the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Sure. As you were mentioning in your introduction, you know, diabetes is really a global epidemic. Over 400 million people around the world rely on round-the-clock glucose monitoring, making insulin treatment decisions. You know, they have to make dietary and lifestyle choices. Diabetes affects the way your body regulates glucose. But it's not really just about eating fewer carbs or less sugar. You know, people living with diabetes are making decisions all the time, whether it's about medication, taking insulin, what to eat, exercise. And they all really all have to base these decisions on their glucose levels. People with type 1 diabetes don't produce insulin to help break down the glucose in their bodies. And people with type 2 diabetes don't respond to insulin as well as they should, or they may not make enough insulin. So they're different, but they're related conditions. And I know that there is some development in the understanding about adult onset diabetes versus childhood diabetes. And that, strictly speaking, isn't quite accurate. Is that true? Yeah, those aren't the classifications that are used anymore. Type 2 diabetes was formerly known as adult onset diabetes, but it is showing up in all ages and all types of people. And type 1 diabetes was formerly known as juvenile diabetes, but it's not just something that affects children. Um, people can be diagnosed kind of all through their life with either type of diabetes. And there's been a rise in both. Is that correct? Yeah, there, there has been. Specifically for type 2, there's been a rise around the world. I think as cultures have changed, sedentary lifestyles have become more of a thing. Um, as people have different access to food, yes, there's been a rise everywhere. 
John, I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about the prevalence of diabetes in different communities, too. I know that the American Diabetes Association reported in 2018 that, you know, something like 15% of American Indians have diabetes, 13% of Hispanics, 12% of non-Hispanic Blacks, 10% of Asian Americans versus 8% of non-Hispanic Whites. What accounts for those disparities? Well, you know, we can talk about correlation and causation and try to connect the dots, but I'm not convinced that each one of these is directed, but the vectors certainly point in um, a variety of social scenarios. The social determinants of health are emerging as one of the key areas to see how we're doing. For example, it's interesting that you can tell how healthy someone is by their zip code. And I think we're seeing some of that in diabetes where income, the nature of the cost of a calorie For example, are you eating high quality calories, let's say protein or meat or fish in that instance, or are you getting calories that are the least expensive because of the requirements of a family budget? So we're seeing a lot of very interesting vectors in that direction. So I think that it's certainly something that we have to be aware of. It's interesting to think about the social determinants of health in the context of diabetes, and it makes me wonder about the history of diabetes more broadly. And I was wondering um, if, in terms of its associated technologies, John, you could tell us a little bit about how the management of diabetes has evolved over time, and uh, particularly uh, how that relates to the introduction of continuous glucose monitoring. You know, I remember talking to my grandmother when I was a little boy (laughs) and in her thick Romanian accent, she would talk about her friend who has diabetes and, but she wouldn't call it diabetes. She'd actually call it something. She called it sugar, sometimes sugar diabetes. She would, she would say, but to me, it's fascinating that, that glucose and blood sugar have always been the cornerstone for tracking this disease. And, whether it be today or 20 years ago or 50 years ago, it's always been an important determinant. And what we see today is the new currency is data. And that data provides insights into our physiology, our prognosis, our insulin administrations potentially that could help us track a path forward. This reality of today where control has been replaced by collaboration, where people, caregivers, and multiple stakeholders play a role in collaborating for care, and that's mediated largely by data. And that's the magic of continuous glucose monitoring. It really is a quantum shift from the old days where we had to prick our finger and really kind of deal with the hassle of management. Now we can, we can deal with the luxury of management and look towards a very, very optimistic outcome. So it's, yeah, it's taking what used to be a painful multiple times daily process. I remember my grandfather used to have to do this. You know, he had diabetes and you know, I remember watching him have to prick his fingers and do the test. And now it's just effectively a, a, a sensor that you wear. Is that accurate? So just thinking about glucose monitoring in general, it's not a new technology. It's been around for 30, 40 plus years where people used to have to pee on a on a test strip to get a urine test to measure their glucose. And then it moved into um, finger, pr- finger stick glucose monitoring. And that was around for a long time. That's, been, that's still around. Um, but even continuous glucose monitoring or CGM has been around for about 10 years, but it's really taken off in the last few years. And like you were mentioning, Freestyle Libre technology um, does start with a sensor. So the Freestyle Libre technology by Abbott 
measures an individual's glucose levels every minute with a sensor that you wear on the back of your upper arm. And you get the data off of that sensor uh, with a one second swipe of either the Freestyle Libre Reader or a mobile app. And the data that you're getting from that sensor really gives you the information you need where you are now, where your glucose levels are going, and it gives you the history so you can make better decisions about your health without having to do any of those painful finger sticks that are low value and annoying. The data that you get off the sensor is made even more valuable with connectivity. So that includes easy uploads of the data, which can be shared easily with healthcare professionals and caregivers and loved ones. So it's a sensor, the data from that sensor, and then making that data more valuable with connectivity. Freestyle Libre 2 is a new device that was um, just starting to be available in the U.S. very recently. Not only does it have um, the unsurpassed 14-day accuracy and optional real-time alarms, it now um, is available for kids over four years old who have diabetes. And you know what? I'm going to jump in because I think that as a student of technological innovation, particularly in the digital health space, I think that Freestyle Libre and Freestyle Libre 2 has really set the benchmark, not only in the context of, of glucose monitoring, but really in this whole new world of digital health where technology is no longer an option, but more of a clinical imperative. And, and what Laura said about connectivity is true, but what I see coming down the pike that really excites me is that beyond connectivity, it's computational aspects where I can get an alarm if I'm hypo or hyperglycemic, but also we can take a look at this data. Every minute we're getting a data point. And when you make that curve, the, the slope of the curve, the trajectory, all these things are providing us with insights into the to the movement of glucose. We may have that as valuable data to put together hypotheses and plot strategies for care in the future. So for me, it, it's a really exciting time. So Laura, I know that the adoption of technology is sometimes a problem. I'm curious, how is Freestyle Libre being embraced and accepted by people with diabetes. Right now with Freestyle Libre, there are over 2 million people around the world using the technology and it's available in over 50 countries. One point of comparison from previous technology like blood glucose monitoring is that people were pricking their finger less than two times a day, maybe on average. And so they're only getting two points of data. But what we've seen when studying real world data is that with Freestyle Libre, people are scanning over 10 times a day on average, sometimes up to 50 times a day. And we've also done studies to show the association of more monitoring leading to better glucose control and outcomes. So it seems that among the benefits of technology like continuous glucose monitoring is uh, things like access to more data and greater connectivity with other pieces of medical technology. I'm curious how all of this connectivity is useful, uh, particularly, uh, you know, right now in the midst of a pandemic. Well, I think that the emergence of telemedicine is a reality that is not going to go away. The ability to track and transmit our data in, in almost any uh, disease scenario has now reached what I've been referring to as a triple inflection point, that we're seeing the availability of technology. You know, number one is the technology, two is, is governments, is legal and regulatory postures, but the third it's the moral imperative. And I think this is a major driver that I can't go to my doctor. The doctor's office is closed 
or I don't want to go to my doctor. I don't want to go to the emergency room because I perceive there to be a significant risk. So I'm going to hunker down at home and and do my best. And, and doing my best used to be a caveat for poor care. But now doing your best is code for telemedicine and optimal care leveraging technology. I think um, people with diabetes and any chronic condition and just living your life, you're not able to take a break if there's a pandemic. You're not able to take a break if you can't see your doctor every three months like you were like you were planning to. You know, people have had to monitor their glucose and their medication even more closely now. And there have been plenty of people who need medication or devices to help manage any condition that it's been harder to get supplies or to get to pharmacy to pick up the prescription. So it's affecting everyone, obviously. Uh, but one big benefit of CGM systems, including Freestyle Libre, is the ability to share that data more easily with healthcare professionals and loved ones and caregivers. So it allows that remote monitoring, which makes telehealth even more valuable. So you can share the data with everyone involved in your care so that you can continue treatment and you don't lose data or lose those updates that you're planning to give to your doctor at your next visit. Can you say a little bit more about that? That's interesting. Yeah, we talked to different doctors in our scientific advisory board and, you know, they've had to really ramp up everyone in the health system, whether it's doctors, patients, healthcare, you know, hospitals, everybody has had to really ramp up on technology and telehealth. Physicians that we've talked to have appreciated being able to see people in their own homes in the context of how they're how they're living, what their family situation is. You know, you could potentially take a tour of the fridge, like let's look at what you're eating and what's going on or where are you exercising or what ability do you have to get outside? So it's just, it's provided a different type of insight than you would get from going into the office. Right. Like literally just a picture of, you know, a camera placed in someone's home lets you know what their situation is in probably a level of resolution that you don't get from just asking them how they're feeling in a doctor's office. Exactly. I know we've already talked about the fact that we don't have a lot of answers, but I was wondering if either of you have any insight into what accounts for the fact that uh, there is a much higher rate of hospitalization for people with diabetes and also COVID-19. COVID-19 is a complex condition that is not a simple respiratory illness, but associated with a variety of factors. And what we're seeing is that people who have comorbid conditions do worse. And one of those comorbid conditions appears to be diabetes. Coronary artery disease, obesity, metabolic syndrome are all clustered in that scenario. So certainly diabetes is a red flag. How it exactly connects with the etiology or the pathophysiology of, of the disease is uncertain at this time. Speaking a little bit more generally, um, you know, it seems like one of the things that we're sort of interested in focusing on here is the idea that diabetes is in some way a data-driven condition uh, or that treatment of it is more data-driven and that's been the case for longer or in a um, more significant way than other conditions. And I'm just wondering, you know, as with anything that generates data, where does it go? Like, how does that data get used? And I think that there's like a, there's a micro and a macro scale. And we can start with the micro, which is how exactly does it fit into the larger process of managing an individual's health? So um, with continuous glucose monitoring, like we've said, you're getting a glucose measurement every minute. And 
you may not need to make a decision every minute, but you're making many decisions a day. You make a decision if you need to go get some exercise or if you need to take insulin or uh, how much insulin you should be taking for whatever meal that you're about to eat or that you've just eaten. So those day-to-day, hour-by-hour decisions rely on having dense glucose data, but with Freestyle Libre, you also get a little bit of that historical data. So you get eight hours of history, which can help you make a the next better decision. Oh, I ate lunch and my glucose spiked. Maybe I need to do something different next time. And it's also giving you a trend arrow. For a healthcare professional that's involved in your care, they may be looking at the last three months of data, the last two weeks of data. So they're looking at trends and patterns in that information to say what's going on overnight, what's going on around your lunchtime meals, things like that, kind of an aggregate to make decisions about treatment, changing medications, looking into behavioral trends. And once you look at data for many people in aggregate, maybe you can start looking at predictive analytics or AI to help populations or to help um, think about trends and patterns for you know other outcomes and things like that. I agree, Laura, 100%. I think that continuous glucose monitoring is a mirror of yourself. And I think that mirror is a very powerful tool. And sometimes I frame it up this way, that the use of of data is tantamount to the third window into humanity. The first was the telescope. The second was the microscope. And the third will be big data, where we get this macro and micro view of what's going on. Yeah, that gets to, I think, maybe what my next question would be, which is what's the pie in the sky idea for how this sort of information and data that is gathered gets compared and sorted alongside other things. Is it working in concert with the internet of things, devices in your house and knowing how much toast you're making per day, networking with your pedometer so that, you know, you can cross-check with how many steps you've had? Is that the current dream? Well, again, from my perspective, I think that integrated care, the ability to look at various clinical parameters and connect them is essential. In a pragmatic perspective, looking at CGM and insulin administration in the artificial pancreas is another another tool where we have a closed loop system that recreates an underlying physiologic scenario. You know, because everything we're doing with diabetes is an artificial dynamic. How close can we get to normal physiology? So I think that's often not only a multi-system approach physiologically, but it's a multi-tool approach when you look at it from a technological perspective. Are the two of you hopeful for a shared information protocol between, you know, multiple types and purposes of, of medical devices? potentially worn by the same person? I'm hopeful for that because uh, it's just going to be required. I mean, you see it in other aspects of your life, like my car talks to my phone and other pieces of technology that I have talk to each other, but not necessarily yet for medical devices. So I think it's going to be a necessity in the future. Like there's an amount of working together that's going to need to be palatable. Uh, Yeah, as long as it's not on Bluetooth, I think I'll be excited. (laughs) Let me ask you a simple question. When you're driving in your car, do you measure the rotor speed of your brake or the brake disc temperature? No, you don't. But I think that we get this thing called a check engine light. And that check engine light is when systems talk to one another and find a problem. And I think we very well may get to the point where we'll have a check engine light for our body. 
where we'll have red flags for different conditions or a need to do something. So I think that it is already here in many systems, not just the human system. I think, you know, we want to be careful about a one-sized-fits-all approach, and I think it's probably healthy to be a little suspicious of the seductiveness of data as a solution to all of life's problems. But um, I wonder if the model of diabetes as a data-driven condition suggests approaches for monitoring and treating other conditions. I think identifying trends and patterns over different periods of time could be something that we learn from diabetes. Maybe it's over a longer period of time for different conditions, but with diabetes, it's over a couple of weeks, a couple of months. You're looking at dense glucose data for that time period in order to make a decision. But for other conditions, yeah, I think there's definitely things we can learn from what needs to be monitored, how often, and what type of decisions are people making based on that data. Abbott also has a product in cardiovascular care called ConfirmRx that um, works with an app and monitors arrhythmia. And that data is easily shared with healthcare professionals constantly. So it's not just in diabetes, but in other conditions where data can be easily shared with healthcare professionals. And just thinking about how Freestyle Libre and monitoring technology in general could be used in prediabetes or preventative care. You know, that has to be part of the conversation in the future. You know, as diabetes continues to rise around the world, there's got to be opportunities to think about using Freestyle Libre as a preventative measure or an early indication or early monitoring so you can get in front of preventing complications down the road. We talked a little bit about diabetes being a condition that might model approaches for other conditions. But I'm also curious about the flip side of that, which is, are there other technologies or approaches that you see out in the world that you think of as something that might contribute to treatment of diabetes or people with diabetes in the either like near or far future? You know, things change so quickly, it's tricky to answer that question. But what I think is important is that we will see an integrated approach to technology so that I'm no longer managing a person with diabetes, but I'm managing a broader, more comprehensive physiologic portfolio. So it's it's much more comprehensive. And to speak back to my Romanian grandmother, she would like it to go away. And to me, <laughs> Fair. I think that's what's going to happen. But it's not going to go away. It's going to become more robust. We're just not going to notice it. We're going to have passive data acquisition and passive analysis. And, you know, our mirror in our bathroom or our toilet or our toothbrush, all these devices are the opportunity for us to acquire physiologic data. So for me, I think that when we incorporate it into our life, and and that could be the steering wheel on on your car to test or to warn for uh, unexpected hypoglycemia in driving, I think it's, it's going to be an amazing time. And it is it's coming faster than you'd expect. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that a couple of things on the hopefully near-term horizon are um, around artificial pancreas, which is where um, a continuous glucose monitor meets up with an insulin pump and is kind of just being that pancreas for you. But I think it's very close on the horizon. You know, we'd all like diabetes to go away. And does that look like gene therapy? Does that look like stem cell replacement? I mean, there's tons of research and technology going on around that as well. In the nearer term, before that's available, before diabetes goes away, let's figure out how to make it go into the background a little bit where, you know, it's something that's um, being managed by different technology or 
um, just by easier data acquisition and insights. So while advancements like the artificial pancreas and a personal network connecting all of our medical devices might still be on the horizon, there is already a great deal of innovation driving the way we monitor and treat diabetes, particularly when it comes to continuous glucose monitoring technology. And in the near future, we'll likely continue to see how much more comprehensive data acquisition can benefit individual health and shape growing fields like telemedicine. John, Laura, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all for tuning in. For more on the innovative thinking around the future of human health, check out our other Health Tech on the Horizon episodes wherever you get your podcasts.